Hi, you're listening to audio from Rock Hill Church. To check out more resources, please visit rockhilllawrence.com. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. Good to be with you guys. Good morning. (laughs) And the Word became... Next weekend is a different weekend uh, for us as a community. We have a variety show scheduled for Saturday night. Chance and Jade are our architects of that. Chance and Jade have the flu. <laughs> They've been like really sick all week. I called him last night and said, hey, do we need to postpone this thing? They've had, they just haven't had it to get it ready. And we talked about it. And you know, we said, what if we stay true to our vision to be a discipleship community? What if we remind ourselves that it's not about production? What if we just get together as a family where the introverts can laugh at the extroverts, you know, where we can bear with the weird uncle in the room, whoever that, Jared, maybe that's you, I don't know who that is, you not Jared, it'd be me, let's just admit it, um, where we can share time. If you want to stay late, bring a game, we got the cafe, do whatever you want, we can just be together as family. That's the variety. Then next Sunday morning, we're not going to be here. We're going to have what we're calling Church at Home, real creative title, right? Church at Home. I want to encourage you to sign up for that. you got to sign up for it because you're going to get placed in a home, for church, in a home next Sunday. And I just lost half of the room with that. Uh, We're going to do our best to not just throw you in with complete strangers that you've never met, unless you're brand new and you don't know any of us. We're going to do our best to get you around some people that we think will feel a little bit like friends and family to you. Um, But we want to flesh out discipleship together. We do that in our normal rhythm in our common life communities and life groups for students. But every once in a while, it's good to have a change and get together differently. Debbie's been working on uh, our, our kind of our content for Church at Home next week. She's producing a video that we'll look at in our homes and then some questions for us just to have brunch or whatever your home's doing and, and, and dialogue about what it means to be a follower of Jesus in your time, in your place, in our time, in our place. And she's going to do it kind of through the prism of <clears throat> Jesus doing his first sign, um, changing water into wine. So, sign up this week. I hope you will. I think it could be really enriching. I, I know for some of you it's like, it feels a little bit awkward. Um, and I, my, my encouragement to you is not to try to convince you it won't be awkward. My encouragement to you is step into it. You got to do that in life. You got to step into it. And we, you've done it enough times probably where you learn like, this was good. I'm glad I did it. So that's my shameless plug for next weekend, and I hope you'll be part of it. Excuse me, I'm a little bit raspy myself this morning. I'm not sick. 
Um, so we have begun an endeavor together in the good news or the gospel of John. One of the things I've wanted to do, another shameless plug here, is to spend some time just kind of on the background of John, like the literary and like cultural context, and who's John, and those kinds of questions. And so what, what we did is we did a podcast. So we're going to send it out this, I think, probably Tuesday. You'll get the email with that. I encourage you to check that out. It's Dave, Debbie, and Dusty. And uh, they're talking about John, and it's really amazing. I got to watch it a couple days ago, and we'll do more of those as we, we progress. We've been hanging out in the opening of John, the first 18 verses. We're going to try to move through that ending of it today. It's often called the prologue. You know, that word means first words prologue. It's kind of the best title we can come up with for that section, but it is fascinating. This prologue, in fact, it's unique in Scripture. It's very hard to label. Scholars have struggled to try to characterize it because it's so unique, and there is so much packed in it. I mean, my head has been exploding the last month doing study. There's historical narrative in it, but of a different kind. John's like doing history almost from like the cosmos. He's doing it really big picture. It's so rich in theology. God is its principal actor in the story John's telling. It's God-centered as John starts from the very beginning of the cosmos, even before the beginning. And then John, and this is where we're going today, is going to get us to the apex, as he sees it, of human history. So there's this like history and theology. Oh no, there's another big shade to it. It's philosophy. John is bringing in a word that was often used by philosophers of his day, and he's leveraging it to tell his Christmas story. John's first word. So imagine with me for a moment, if you were trying to roll out history from the big picture, from God's perspective... All the while confronting and asserting truth in the culture of the day, of your day, John's day for our purposes, how would you do it? How would you tell the story? I mean, it's an overwhelming question, right? Like, gosh, don't, that doesn't make much sense to me. Well, you could write 18 volumes or so, like Thomas Aquinas did, or Augustine or Carl F. H. Henry, great theologians of the church who've, who've like tried to like present the fullness of God's plan. You could do that. Or you could come under the guidance and inspiration of God's Spirit and pack it all into 18 verses. Oh, and live to be 90 and sit with 
the life of Jesus as you experienced it for about six decades and meditate on it and linger with it. And then, oh yeah, write it poetically. That's what this prologue is. It's not really poetry. It kind of reduces it a bit too much to call it poetry. But John's writing poetically. History, philosophy, theology. It is brilliantly penned. John's had a long time to sit with this. So, people get ready. He's got some things to say to us. So, I think to be fair, we need to read all of it, all 18 verses. I'm going to read it for you. Uh, I didn't make a slide for the first 13 voices because I want voices, verses. I wanted you to listen. And you can open your Bible if you, you want to follow along in that way. Why don't we stand? Let's lean into this. John chapter 1, this is Jesus BFF telling his story, telling the story. I think you'll get it. He says it this way, in the beginning was the word. There's that philosophical term, logos. We've talked a little bit about that. He says, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. In him, without him, nothing was made that's been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Are are you getting a little bit of sense of the poetic rhythm here? There was a man... Sent from God. And his name was John. I don't know about you when I read that my shoulders slump a little bit. I thought you were going to Jesus. No, just John. Because John came as a witness to the light. False alarm. This man sent from God. Just John. He came to testify concerning the light. So that through him all might, what? Believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light. Okay, here we go. That gives light to everyone was coming. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, it did not recognize him. You're supposed to like say, say what? Let's let's try that. Ready? Say what? The world was made through him and he didn't it didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, his own people, but his own people would not receive him. There's tragedy in this story he's telling. Yet To all who did receive him. To them, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. 
children not born naturally, nor of someone else's decision, a husband's will, but what? Born of God. Let's pray. Lord, give us a breath here. It's hard to take all that in. This historical, philosophical, theological brilliance written poetically. Lord, help us to connect it. We wish we had like a week just to sit around tables, sit by running creeks and just think about this. Dialogue about it. So we're asking your spirit in some way to do like you did for John, illuminate us as you illuminated and inspired John as he wrote. May we now receive your inspiration as good students. We pray in your good name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So how are those first 13 verses landing for you? Are you now like on the edge of your seat, wondering where John's going now? Or is it the opposite for you? Maybe you're having this response like, come on, preacher. I'm not a philosopher. I'm not a theologian. I'm not a historian. I certainly ain't no poet. I don't think this is for me. Well, what I want to say to you is, hold on there, cowboy. John is about to go boots on the ground with this. He is about to bring this home for us. He's going to talk in common street language. So let's listen. Verse 14. And the word became flesh. And it made its dwelling among us. And here's the first time John uses the first person, English majors. And we beheld his glory. The glory of the one and only from the Father full of grace and truth. And John testifies about, John just can't stop talking about John. This is not himself, this is the Baptist one. He's cried out because he wants us to hear the testimony of John. This is the one about whom I said, this one coming after me has come before me because he was first. John likes talking about what's first. Out of his fullness, we've received all things, grace after grace, he writes poetically. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. No one has seen God, but the only one and only God who's at the side of the Father has made him known. So John wants to tell us, in Jesus, God has come near. In Jesus, God has become one of us. And this God who has come near, has come near with grace and truth. The Word became flesh. You know, we make much of that, that word, lagos, means word. It's really only in here in two verses, the Beginning, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then right here, the punchline. 
verse 14. And the Word became flesh. In verse 1, the Word was there in the beginning. Here, the Word is becoming something. In verse 1, the Word is in God's presence. Verse 14, the Word is in our presence. In verse 1, the Word was God. In verse 14, John says, and the Word became flesh. This was an important word. There was a distinctive meaning to some of John's hearers, scholars think. There's a segment of the population that were philosophers. We now call them Gnostics. For them, the word word meant this divine spark that kind of floated down from heaven. It was, it was illumination. It was like spiritual knowledge only for the elite. They were enlightened, and this group had influence in the culture. They were a little bit like Hollywood for the culture. Perhaps John has them in mind when he's writing, but I think there's a bigger group he's addressing it was his own people, the people familiar with word. It was in their Hebrew scriptures, in the psalm that says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made. John repeats that, doesn't he, in verse 1. Their great prophet Isaiah, he says, The grass withers and the flowers fail, but what? The word of the Lord endures forever. He said God's word is like the rain and the snow that goes out to the earth. And it produces what God intends it to produce. They knew God's word. They knew what it meant. It was packed with meaning for them. It was filled with expectation for them. But no one saw this coming. What John is saying here. And the Word became flesh. Word and flesh, two things no one put together. The Word of God, human flesh, spirit and body, deity and humanity. God becomes man, God and man united. In flesh. That's John's great irony. Except it's not really John's irony. It's the irony of the principal actor. It's God's irony. It's his surprise. And you better believe it was shocking to people. Word become flesh. The early church struggled with it. How does God become man? And what does that mean? It was one thing to kind of think of, think of like a mortal kind of maybe taking on immortality. You know, maybe if they're a great person or after they died. But, but the immortal God becoming mortal. That was another matter. No one had a category for that. The almighty creator arriving in frail, human, weak flesh. It was unthinkable. Now the God, the word that was out there, the word of verse 1 out there in kind of the infinity and beyond out there in the galaxy, creating, that made sense. That sounded like God. But the word became in flesh and camping out with us and pitching his tent. That's what the word means, pitching his tent with us. 
breathing, working, sweating, eating and drinking and living and dying like us. John knew it sounded nuts. God like this. But he says, we've seen it. We saw him in the flesh. And he declares, he made his dwelling with us. He came and set up camp with us. He pitched his tent. He tabernacled with us. That's, that's really the word, tabernacled. Now, that would have gotten traction. There was a lot of like expectation around tabernacle among John's tribe. Because for them, the tabernacle was this like symbol of the presence of God. When Moses and, his, and the people of God are in the wilderness, the tabernacle came into being. It, it was a little bit like being in Topeka or D.C. or wherever, and you walk by the Capitol building. And you go like, oh, yeah, we got a government. You know, that, that's a good reminder for me. I'm a citizen. I, I have duties and responsibilities. So the tabernacle was like, it was symbol of God with them that you kind of walked by and you said, oh yeah, I'm a person of God. We're the people of God. That's important. There's the tent right there. He's up there. We're down here. He comes down from time to time and visits. He speaks through our leaders, our prophets from time to time. And then there was the temple. That's what was it existence during Jesus' time. The temple kind of replaced the tabernacle. It was the same symbol. It was just made out of stone instead of tent fabric. But you walked by it and said, oh yeah, I've got to go there once a year. Make my sacrifice. It's a reminder. It's in the center of Jerusalem. Now here's the interesting thing. By the time John's writing, it's in the late 90s of the first century probably. The temple's gone. AD 64, Nero has it destroyed. There's no temple. There's no physical symbol of God's presence among his people. But John says, hold, hold a minute. God came and tabernacled among us. Pitched his tent right in the middle of us. John's doing something remarkable here. Don't miss it. He's shaking off that tent fabric and he's tossing those stones aside. And he said, it's right here in flesh. God is dwelling. God is near. He's not just we walk by him and give him a nod. He's with us in person. So pause for a minute and just ask you like, how, how is that with you? Like, is your life filled with a sense of the nearness of God? Or is your life with God like, no, I go to church on Sunday and I kind of check in and I give God a nod and I grab all I can? Or is the tabernacle in your life dwelling near, accessible John's not going to stop there because he's not just saying God's near. He's going to get really scandalous. He says the word became flesh. He became one of us. You know, God, John could have described God so differently 
coming. He could have talked about God being with us and used real sophisticated, refined language. And God stooped down and wrapped himself in humanity, he could have said. The Almighty took it upon himself to appear as a man. That's not how he said it. He he, he chose the most crass language he could grab. And God became flesh. This powerful, pre-existent, sovereign creator took on flesh and blood. How would you imagine God becoming man? God becoming human? What would it look like for you? I thought about this some this week. It's kind of a strange question. Especially if you kind of already know the answer. Well, he'd look like a Jewish carpenter. But try to scrub that for a minute. How would you imagine him? For me, I kind of came up with Jack Reacher. Anybody watch Jack Reacher? Not the Tom Cruise one, the new one. I would want God to be like both winsome and mysterious at the same time. I also wanted him to be big and buffy, you know, because we got some enemies and I want them to know he can handle them if he needs to. I also want him to be frequently using his superpower skills because there's some people who need zapping from time to time. I want him to like be able to part bodies of water and calling down lightning when needed. But I also wanted to be nice to children and widows. You know, I want to be strong. I also wanted to be gentle. All the while having his superpowers there in his quiver. I, I want him to be near when I'm in trouble. But when I'm doing okay, like aloof and distant, kind of a God-safe distance would be okay. That would make things a little bit less demanding for me. I think John would scratch his head at that description and say, well, I think you're missing something here. I mean, yeah, Jesus could do a lot of that stuff that is in your imagination, but I don't think that, was re- that wasn't really what it was like when he was with us. God became like us. He was ordinary in some ways. He, he was frail and weak with us like we are. His, even his temptation was like real over and over all the time. He's getting hits. He never gave into it. But, but I think he would say, maybe your view of the holy could use a little work here. Maybe you need to go back and meditate, maybe John would say, on, on Matthew and Luke. I left that part of the Christmas story out. Maybe you need to go back to Bethlehem and linger with that little baby in the manger a little bit. Maybe that would be helpful to think of Jesus as not just superhuman, but lowly. The word John uses for we saw him. I want to, I want to go there for a minute. Emily, wherever you are, you'll like this word. He uses a theater word. He doesn't use the, the normal word for we saw him. He uses the word for we beheld him. 
It was a theater word. It, he's describing like you're at the movies or at a play, and there's this moment that absolutely just captures you. You have those moments, and you feel like you're in it. You're in, you, you, you've forgotten that this isn't real. You're like in that story with them. And even, the word is even bigger than you're observing. It's a participatory word. It kind of means you're on the stage with them. That's what John is saying. We beheld him. We got caught up in this. And we all of a sudden, all of a sudden realized that we're on the stage. He's on the stage. But it's not really a stage. It's like our ordinary lives. He's there in the flesh. We beheld his glory, he says. That's another, there's another word. His people knew something about that word. The heavens declare the glory of God, cosmic, impressive array. They knew that psalm. They knew when Isaiah wrote about God's glory filling the temple and he gets on his face, being overwhelmed with like the majestic power of God. He knew those words. But God wants to see, or John wants us to see, that what he starts off with this word that's in the cosmos, creating, that's coexisting out there in infinity before creation. That glorious being now has skin. He has skin. Being with, living with Jesus, John now abiding with Jesus through his spirit. That's glorious. He's saying, behold that. He said, because we shared in it. He became flesh and blood like we are. He came from God. We've been born of God. It's glorious. And John says something else in the middle that I read earlier. When he says... The light was shining in the darkness, and the darkness has not under, overtaken it. I think it's his poetic way of saying, this word that became flesh, your, our darkness can't overtake it. It's, it's with you in the flesh, not just when you're pretty. It's with you off stage. It's with you, like, imagine your dark place. I don't have to explain that to you. I think John wants to say, he's got his tent right there. He's right there with you saying, what's up? How you doing? You know I'm here, don't you? I'm comfortable with this place with you. I want to know what you're thinking right now. I want to be here with you here in the darkness. That's where the flesh gets real. Now, John has one more thing to say to us. Verse 16, out of his fullness, we received all things. Grace after grace, he writes. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus. Moses brought the law. 
The law was the word of God. It was words from God. They were good words. They were true words. The law was good. It was there to show us how to live righteously with God and one another. The law was God's revelation in words. Here's how a righteous person should live. Follow these commands. It was a gift of grace to people. People saw the law was it was glorious. Read Psalm 119 sometimes. You want to hear the community like just echoing that. The glory of the law. But while the law showed us how to behave righteously, it did something else. It exposed an unwelcome truth. We can't be righteous by keeping the law, not because the law's distorted, because we can't keep it. We fall short. We can't live up to it. We're not righteous. We're sinners. Man, if we can get our head and our heart wrapped around that one truth, we are sinners. There's going to be a lot of things that start to make sense. As a culture, of course, we've lost that. It's still true. It's not complicated. The more we try to keep the law, the more we try to construct our own versions of righteousness, of goodness, of what it means to be good, the more we get in our own way and can't even live up to our own vision of what a good person is. We can't seem to get away from choosing our selfish path, even in the middle of the righteous paths we make. The grace of the law didn't fail. We did. We have. We do. We could never be good by obeying the law. That's what John wants to bring out here. Because we don't. This goodness that he wants to paint poetically a vision for. Cannot be attained through our trying. Try though we may. So he's saying... Grace of the law is now being followed up with a new grace. It's a grace of a different sort. It's a grace that changes not just our behavior through conformity, but it goes after the source of the behavior, the heart of the human life. It's a grace that rebirths born of God that makes you a child anew that makes you a son or a daughter that makes you a new creation it's an inner reality it's a grace given and a grace received yet for all who received him John writes To them, God gives the right to become children of God. 
people born of God. There it is. That's the theme of the prologue. Jesus, the eternal word of God, taking on skin the fullness of God's revelation, the embodiment and the giver of truth and grace. It tells us the truth about us and about God. And then it comes and sits beside us in the darkness and says, I'm right here with you. All you got to do is receive. It's given for you. John's going to keep going with this all the way to the cross with us. And he's going to say, that's the most glorious thing. He's preparing us for that. Saying, get used to flesh. Because that flesh is going to be crucified. And what the world called a curse is going to be God's glory. And John says, I want to tell you something. I was there. I beheld it. We beheld it. But we were more than spectators. We found ourselves caught up into it and invited into it. This life. I want to I close with just the, those two times God, uh, John uses the first person. First one. The word became flesh, and we beheld his glory. So here's the question. Are you beholding Jesus? Not just kind of walking by him and nodding. There's the tabernacle. Oh yeah, I'm a citizen. That's a good reminder. No, are you beholding him? Are you taking him in? And what's that look like for you? How do you do that? Let's go to the second we. John's going to get us started. For all those who received him, he gave them the right to become children, to be born. And he said, and out of that, he calls it fullness. It's a word he likes. We have received grace. So that's the second question. Are you, have you received grace? It's there in the flesh, in the darkness, right beside you. That's how he came. We want him to look like Jack Reacher. What if he looks a lot like us? Yet was without sin. Yet was filled not just with knowledge about righteousness, but is righteousness. What if he just doesn't know the way to God? What if he is the way to God? What if he just doesn't understand truth? He is the truth. It's embodied in him. What if he came to give you life? Not just have you received it. You got to start. That's called being born of God. 
You have to be birthed into it. We'll get to that in chapter 3. You just can't think your way into it or understand your way into it or, or work your way into it or get enlightened. No, you have to receive. You have to say, I'm in. I am a sinner. I can't get there. God, meet me in my darkest. That's what love does. It stays near in the darkest times. Are you still receiving him? Are you hosting him in your life? And what does that look like? To host Jesus in your life and not just pay homage to him on Sundays or Wednesdays or whatever. What's it mean to receive him and host him? That's a good conversation, isn't it? Maybe you have no idea. That's a good question. Because you have to seek this. You have to want it more than anything. And all those who seek, find in the economy of God. And the Word became flesh. And we beheld His glory. The glory of the one and only came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And of this grace we have received fullness grace after grace this is boots on the ground stuff we've moved past the cosmos John wants us to get our hands dirty with Jesus He's not really interested in sounding philosophical or smart. He came to give you life for tomorrow. In the darkest place you can imagine. That's what love does. Let's pray together. This will be yours. Lord, you are near us. The Word became flesh. And you've invited us to say, yes, I can't do it. You've asked us to receive, to host, to behold, right with you, on the stage. Lord, you're after a whole lot more than us giving you a nod as we walk by. You're wanting life to come to us. You're inviting us into your life. And you're asking us to exchange ours for yours. It's a big, boldacious ask 
Lord, we can't even say yes to that without grace. We don't have the courage, the clarity, even the understanding to really totally be able to sort that out. But Lord, your grace, your spirit bears witness in our hearts and says, this is true. This is for you. Oh, God, thank you for bringing that grace. It covers us. It brings us life. Father, I pray for each person watching live stream, sitting in the pew. That right now, right here, you would give them the grace to say, yes, I want to behold you. Yes, I want to receive you into every part of my life, every room, every corner, even those that are dark. Lord, John has gotten at that in a way only he could under your inspiration. And he sat with this for decades. And he chose to tell his Christmas story, not from Bethlehem, but from you, the Word who made all things and who holds all things together and came in the flesh. Lord, let that land with us anew. Give us the courage to behold and to receive. And Lord, give us the gumption to work that out in community. There'll be conversation of lunch and, and running together and walking and doing life group and CLC together. How do we behold Jesus? What's that look like? Take it out of philosophical and put it into the real for us. Boots on the ground. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage each of you to, if God has like put his finger on something or he's speaking to you, be like John and bear witness to it. What I mean by that is talk about it with someone you trust or know. Bring it, bring it into the light. Bring it out of the dark if that's where it's been hanging out. Testify to it. Make it known. God will help you know what this looks like that way. You may need to ponder it in your own spirit and heart for, for a little while. That's okay. But don't hide it. Bring it. Lead us, man.